0: How many of you this morning, before you came to services, after you got out of bed, you took a shower and brushed your teeth and combed your hair, all without waking up? (laughs) Now, most of us, we're in this habit, right, of daily hygiene. We've been, you know, we've been living a few years all right, we you know those of us who are over the age of ten or fifteen, probably fifteen, you know, we've kind of accustomed ourselves to the fact that that you know we get up in the morning and as we wake up, we desire not to be when we walk out the door. We do, we want to clean ourselves up a little bit. We want to go through this this natural, almost automatic process of daily hygiene. Um, it's uh, wonderful that. Todd used some illustration of his kids this morning. Uh, I want to use an illustration too. You know, uh, Matthew's not here. uh, And I could really make some great illustrations about hygiene in regards to Matthew, but he's not the one I want to use. Many years ago, uh, Rachel must have been, I don't know, probably like about 10 years of age. Uh, She was, uh, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember all the circumstances. I just remember that she commented that, that, you know, the fact that she actually saw her literally taking more showers, and beginning to practice daily hygiene. And uh, in the course of seeing this, uh, you know, I asked her why, and she basically said that at that age, at around the age of 10 or so, she began to notice that her friends smelled. (laughs) (laughs) And so it dawned on her that probably she might smell too. Now, I don't want to encourage anybody to go smell anybody this morning, but it was self-awareness is one of the reasons we begin to, to do hygiene, all right? We begin to practice hygiene. I remember when I was a little kid, you know, guys can be pretty gross. I remember that uh, we weren't really all that good at brushing our teeth on a regular basis, and several of my friends would demonstrate how much stuff they could scrape off their teeth. Yes. Brings memories, doesn't it? Hygiene. Taking care of ourselves. Really what it is, is we develop an approach to daily life. A proper approach to daily life. Uh, This morning what I want us to do is to consider some, uh, some, some approaches to proper daily spiritual life. In essence, spiritual hygiene. And uh, that's really what we see in this text in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. So I'm going to start by reading the text, and then we're going to go over some points from the text. So beginning in verse 19, it says, Know this, my dear brothers and sisters, that let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So put away all moral filth and excess of evil and receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deluding yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looks at himself and goes away, he immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect Torah, the Torah that gives freedom and continues in it, not becoming a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is futile. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What I want us to get out of this message this morning is some practical points in regards to proper spiritual hygiene. We're going to look at at three basic areas of practice. Again, what you can see broken out here in the uh, announcement sheet. And the first thing we need to think about is the important habit, hygiene practice of self-control. Self-control. Here we see in the text where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I am the epitome of, of quick to listen and slow to anger. You know? Uh, when I was in New York, and I want to take a little time to talk about my experience in New York, uh, you know, there was one point something was going on, and I was becoming livid. Livid. Now, I have a bad temper. It's not my fault. It's my father's fault. Okay? And uh, I was in for counseling many years ago. <coughs> and... Uh, I was, I was much younger. Actually, I was newly married. It's very helpful when you're newly married to have a counselor, someone older, who you respect and will shut up and listen to. And so it actually was my old roommate from Moody. He was a pastor of a church and he knew me better than just about anyone. And at this time, he knew me better than my wife. And he said to me, you've got an anger problem. You need to learn to just kind of tell when you're getting angry. Learn to just kind of get that understanding. Yeah, I'm losing control, and to identify that, and to recognize it, and then to try and let it go. You know, it's great advice. Very simple advice. Do you know the best things in life are free? Free advice you listen to. So, I was in New York, and, and I'm getting really angry. And I have to say, I honestly blew my cool. You know, it was so good. It was just a table of people I didn't really know that well. No, just kidding. Uh, you know, I, I forgot to do this very thing of paying attention to the fact that I was going to lose control, and I lost control. Uh, what was nice is is very patient because it was a very intense kind of a set of meetings. But uh, I would say that this is a very important hygiene to practice in your life. If you have a habit of losing control, of getting angry, of talking too much, of talking too much, <laughs> two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you talk, uh, then I would encourage you to begin on a daily basis to take an inventory of how you, you, or how you handle your interactions with other people. To try and keep track of how much you're talking compared to listening. And to really learn to tell if you have a temper to t- be able to tell when you begin to lose your cool. Especially if you're married. Uh, usually you'll notice that mild-mannered people tend to marry hot-headed people. Not all the time. Sometimes my wife can yell at me, but her yelling is not compared to mine. And so it's just important to learn to pay attention to that. Uh, I think that often in community, there's a phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. And so if we in community can practice this habit of identifying when we are beginning to lose control... It's helpful. And then if we're really the community we need to be, not only do we need to identify it for ourselves personally, but we need to be sure that we're willing to say to that friend, that other fellow in the community, Hey, listen, I noticed that you've been talking nonstop for thirty-five minutes without breathing. Breathe. You know? Or if you know somebody who really does lose it, then to to be able and willing to say, Hey, listen, you know, I noticed this. Please, let you know, Let's talk. You know, what can we do to, to what, can, what can I do? What can other people do to help you to practice better self control in this area of your life? Uh, that's what community is for. That's what friends are for. You know, we all need a little help from our friends, and it's uh, in regards to our spiritual hygiene. All right. The second point is we see in verse twenty one and following is the whole idea of practicing God's word in humility. In humility. Uh, and, and humility is it's really hard because none of us really wants to be all that humble. We like to think we're humble because making ourselves think we're humble is a kind of a spiritual boost. It gives us a sense of pride to know that we're humble alright but here we see in the text the importance of humility and I just kind of want to go through it again where it says so put away all moral filth and excess of evil and receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul if we truly want to practice God's word in living out a life of humility we've got to understand that confession precedes everything else Yeah, you know, I really want to I want my life to count for God I really want to live out God's instruction in my life. But confession is critically important. Humbly admitting before God my sin. I mean, I loved what, what Todd had to say in his drosh. You know, it's so easy the older we, we are as followers of Messiah Yeshua to kind of look at our sin and kind of brush it off. You know, I remember when I was a brand new believer, I had a big long list of things that I was constantly confessing before God. You know, I think uh, I think sometimes, as followers of Messiah Yeshua, uh, we don't <coughs> look at sin the same way God does. Uh, you know, in the New Covenant text, you know, if you murdered somebody, but you didn't commit adultery, you still broke the law, then Yeshua says, if you, if you murder somebody, you could be saying something bad about them. Uh, you don't have to physically go out and kill them. I mean, as I look around this room, I don't see anyone who's ever killed anybody. But how many of us have used our tongues to slay thousands? Right? So we need to remember that we have to view sin the way God views our sin. We must evaluate in humility our true state of being. We are sinful people. We constantly sin. You think you sin once a day, twice a day? You probably sin dozens of times a day. Alright? But God forgives our sin. It's when we humble ourselves and confess our sins. And really, what it is, is we recognize our sinfulness that God really is pleased. It's not because He wants us to grovel. That's not the point. He wants us to recognize who we are in in honesty. God can work with us when we're honest. You'll notice in the biblical text, the book of Daniel, the book of Jeremiah... Uh, the book of, uh, of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra. When these guys are prepared to do something great for God, they're humble people confessing their sins and the sins of their people. All right, How often are we confessing our sins and the sin of our people? We are a sinful people. Unfortunately, we're a very proud people and we've got not too much to be proud of except for what God has done for us. Confession is good for the soul. And if we desire God's blessing in our lives, let's be humble, confessing people. But also, what is required in terms of practicing God's word in humility is the application of God's instruction. When you take a look again at the text here, take a look at verse 22. It says, be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deluding yourselves. It's so easy for us to acquire knowledge. Following Messiah Yeshua and living our lives for the God of Israel is not about knowledge accumulation so much as practice. Uh, I was joking with somebody about the medical profession. They are called practitioners. And that's why they continue to get so much wrong. You know, they practice, practice, practice. Practice makes perfect. All right, There are no doctors in the house, only the children of doctors in the house. But when we think about (coughs) God's instruction... It is all about practice. It's all about living it out. And you live it out in the context of people. Uh, Almost everything about the biblical text and the instruction in it involves someone besides yourself, generally. And so when you think about all that you've heard even today, you know, all that you've heard even in this service, the Word of God, read from the Torah or the Torah, or the New Covenant text or the Drash or what I'm explaining now. Is it your intention to apply it in some way? To be a doer, not just a hearer. You may say, I want to be a doer, I want to be a doer. I try to do and then I fall flat. And I don't do what I want to do. <coughs> Paul's got it well said. In the book of Romans, in chapter 7, he says, The things I want to do are not the things that I do. Well, wow, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Soon to be a bar mitzvah boy, this man. Okay. Uh, Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I am so encouraged by that passage. I could have written that myself, you know? That's the believing life. I don't want to get upset with my wife about something, like not packing and being ready to go to Munich. But, you know what? I get upset. Or... (coughs) Or my son calling me again early in the morning, when he's on his way to work, when I'm not wanting to talk on the phone, you know But you know what, the things that I want to do are not always the things that I do. It's a great statement about humanity. What's wonderful is God loves us. God knows what we're made out of. He just wants us to fess up. But there is a motivational reality. Do you desire? To do the instruction that God has given us? Are you open to adjusting and changing your life to be more in sync with what it is that God says we should be doing? That's what's extremely important. That's where people fall apart. It takes faith to believe that doing what God says is best. But I think sometimes we don't demonstrate the faith we need to. We, we kind of understand that following God's instructions will bring God's blessing. But generally, the instant gratification of just doing what we want to do is what we desire. We have to have faith, real faith, that doing what God says will bring real blessing, long-term blessing, and peace and joy and real life into our lives. It's a mindset thing. And then the last part of this, practicing God's word and humility, we have to understand that it's important from time to time to do a real serious inventory Of our uh, spiritual progress. Where it says in verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer, nope, second. Yeah, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, in verse 23, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked in himself and goes away, he immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect Torah, the Torah that gives freedom and continues in it, not becoming a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he shall be blessed in what he does. It's great text. I mean, uh, again, I remember when Matt was growing up, <coughs> a mirror was useless for him. Useless. Uh, don't take it personally, but I'm sure all you guys were like this. I was like this. What's a mirror? I'm 10 years of age. You know what? Um, yeah, I think I combed my hair sometimes when I was a kid. Uh, most, I, I think I see it with a lot, of, a lot of, of parents that are very, fathers who are very proactive with their sons. You know, their sons tend to just get buzz cuts for the first like dozen years of their lives because what are you going to do with the hair? Not much. I didn't remember. I remember when Abe was a kid, you know, even Abe, you know. And so it's just this reality that when we're young, many of us, we're preoccupied with much more important things like playing army. Then you know, in sports <coughs> football, things that really matter when you're 10, 11, 12 years of age but as you get older you learn to value the mirror you learn to value what it does it gives you a reflection of who you are spiritually speaking we need reflection we need an opportunity to pause and see who we truly are and to gauge progress we don't want to be the same today, spiritually, as we were a year ago. There should be progressive development. Progressive development. And, and the mirror gives us that opportunity. So if you think about it, it's a reflection. Being able to gauge, analyze, to consider. We need to honestly evaluate our spiritual state from time to time. And uh, one way of really uh, critically analyzing ourselves, going back to the issue of doing, are we gaining victory over difficulties in our lives or areas of sinfulness, stresses? You know, Are we more committed to reading God's instruction? You know, I think that it's a, it's a great point. Uh, I always say read the text, read the text, have a habit of reading the text. But it is true that sometimes in reading the text it becomes a habit like brushing our teeth where we just do it and don't think about it. So not only do we need to have the spiritual habits of reading the scriptures and being in community and using our spiritual gifts for the benefit of others and sharing our faith about who Yeshua is with other people, but we need to make sure that it doesn't become a rote habit, but that it becomes an active habit. That's part of that reflection. That's part of that reflection. When we're analyzing Wow, how am I actually sitting and reading? How am I actually contemplating God's instruction? You know, what is my communication like with the people around me they are not believers in Yeshua? Am I intentionally speaking forth God's truth to the people that are around me? We've got to take advantage of a spiritual mirror so that we can see how we're doing. Honestly, analyzing ourselves making sure that we are growing ever more into the image of our Messiah, Yeshua. Now, the last thing I want to point out is this last section in chapter 1, verse 26. uh, 26 and 27. It's such a Jewish book, the book of Yaakov, James. Uh, In uh, Acts chapter 15, I think it was Acts chapter 15, right? Uh, uh, There's this discussion of Paul and their efforts among the the nations, and James and Peter and their efforts among the the, really in Israel. It's really what the Jewish community. uh, And the one thing they talk about is the importance of ministering to the poor. All right. And here we have at the end of this book, the same challenge, or at the end of this chapter if anyone thinks he is religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religious is futile pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world here it's, the issue is practicing God's word By you know, practicing God's word leads to action and action has to do with two aspects of our lives one's a public action it's what people see and hear if you are desiring to live out God's word, if you are practicing what God's instructions say and you're being critically analytical, you're allowing your life to be you're, you're allowing yourself to analyze how you're reflecting yourself, you, you, people will notice it. People are going to notice it. When he talks about here the importance of bridling your tongue, you know that's the whole horse with the bit in its mouth thing. You know you're controlling. What you're saying, you're, you're, you're making sure that there's nothing coming out of your mouth that's inhibiting your testimony. That's a very public thing. Uh, when I got all ticked off in, in Manhattan a couple of days ago, <coughs> it was embarrassing. I'm ashamed of myself. It was political. Uh, but it was stupid. And I shouldn't have said anything. All right? I didn't bridle my tongue. And I admit it. Because I reflected. <laughs> I saw myself in the mirror and by golly, I didn't like what I said. Alright? Are you willing to be like that? Are you willing to do that? Is your desire to be relevant in testimony as a religious person so that you can change the way you come across to other people publicly? The other... Is private, private actions. Now it talks here about uh, pure and undefiled religions caring about orphans and widows. You know what's interesting about this? I think that there is a contrast between public and private. I think that most people who are working with orphans and widows go unnoticed. I mean, in religious work, in religious work, generally they go unnoticed. Now Mother Teresa got noticed. Why? Because it became a huge work. You know how many people are, are helping helpless widows and children around the world? A lot of people. And they go unnoticed and unappreciated. But that's just the way it is. Because working with kids is unappreciated. Uh, just ask most mothers. <laughs> you know? I mean, so, uh, in fact, in ministry, the most unappreciated work that goes on in ministry across the board is any work with children. I don't know why, but it's just the reality of it. But the point I want to make here is this, is that if we are living out God's instructions, it's going to lead us to actions that are mostly going to be unseen by other people. The only one who's going to notice is God. And fundamentally, that's all that matters. We stand before God. God is the one who looks at our lives and analyzes our lives. And that's all that really should matter, right? Hopefully this morning, it is our desire to live out God's instructions because we want to better control ourselves. We want our lives to be more in tune with God's own expectations for us. Hopefully we're confessing our sin, living lives of humility, because hopefully what we desire to do is to act, to serve God before others, whether privately or publicly, because when everything is said and done, that's all that matters. My challenge for you this morning... is is two things. One, I encourage you, if you're not really doing it, to study God's Word in a serious way. Reading the biblical text every day is a great habit. But if that's all you do, it's not enough. <coughs> we have the Wednesday night studies for, to, for serious study. And it's even more serious now with this thing that Jason's doing. But there are other opportunities to study seriously God's Word. I encourage you to practice a serious study of God's instruction. It's because when you analyze that text, specifically to glean from it things that will encourage you more deeply to change that serious study. Change is what is desired by God in your life through His Scripture. And uh, the second challenge is to study God's Word, looking for applications, practices for your daily life. To intentionally look for practices, little hygienic things you can do. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe you don't really brush your teeth, spiritually speaking. (laughs) You get up every day, you take a shower, spiritually speaking. You brush your hair, spiritually speaking, but you don't brush your teeth. Or, maybe you brush your teeth, but you don't floss. Maybe there is some small thing that you're not pursuing. Some little application in the biblical text that God's been kind of tapping on you about, and you've just been ignoring it. Maybe there's some small thing. Maybe the Lord your God, because of the uniqueness of your job situation, desires that you intentionally every day share a little bit of your faith with somebody in your office. Somehow or another, communicate the reality of your faith in your office. Or maybe it's, it's a situation with your family. God desires that you be a person of peace, that you bring Shalom it into your home. And he wants you to uh, practice every day that form of spiritual hygiene by bringing peace into your home, your your own home or your greater home, whatever it could be. But a particular application from God's scripture, but that's something that's unique and something he wants you to add into your hygiene, like flossing, which I fought for years, but finally gave in to it at the age of thirty. All right. So some things to think about from God's instruction. God has given us great instruction, and yet we do have to practice it to take advantage of it.